Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm your host, Megan Dwyer. So because it's January, it feels like really good timing to talk about my topic today, self-help and the self-help, wellness, personal development industry in general. The concept of self-help, personal development makes sense, right? We all want to be a better version of ourselves, which is a good thing because at our core, we care. We care about making ourselves better people. And at the same time, it's obviously like super trendy this time of year because of New Year's resolutions. And it's super trendy in general, I feel like right now. But what I want to talk through today is, is it actually helping us? That's the big question. I discovered the concept of self-help and personal development when I was in college because I was convinced that there was something wrong with me. And as soon as I graduated and got a job, I dove headfirst into it. One job I had, I worked right next to a big bookstore and I would go there on my lunch break and just pour myself into the self-help section. If I couldn't afford to buy the book at the time, I would just sit there and read for an hour. And looking back, I spent so much money and time trying to be a better person because in my mind, I wasn't good enough just as I was. I needed to be better and I needed to eat better and I needed to think better and I needed to work better. And over the years, I went from reading books to buying classes and workshops and apps and creams and what else, oils and sprays and candles and vitamins and supplements, all in an effort to be a different person, right? To be somebody else, basically denying who I am because I'm going to be really vulnerable here. I wasn't happy with who I was. And this is how I lived for a really long time. I thought there was something wrong with me because I wasn't happy all the time and because I wasn't super skinny. So, you know, I must be addicted to sugar or gluten or God knows what else, right? Because I I had a hard time getting up at five in the morning to start my day. Because I wasn't functioning as society's definition of ideal, I must have had a problem that needed to be fixed, right? Or I was a problem in general that needed to be fixed. It wasn't until pretty recently that I learned that always striving to be somebody else just wasn't working for me. Frankly, kids just threw a wrench in my whole identity around self-improvement and kind of forced me to look at the stuff that I'm carrying around head on, even though I really, really, really didn't want to, right? So from a high level, the self-help industry seems like it's empowering us, right? 
like I just mentioned, because the intention is there to be a better version of ourselves. But I'm learning it may actually be doing the opposite and disempowering us because it reinforces perceptions of shame and inferiority, which is like I just talked about in my experience. Like if you're having a bad day, the industry tells us that it's our thing. It's our fault. It's our responsibility to fix it because nothing is more important than feeling good, which gets into the whole toxic positivity thing, which I've talked about before and how unhealthy that is. But as I'm learning, this isn't reality. For better or for worse, we have to deal with whatever's going on, right? We can't magically press a button and make it go away or sweep it under the rug because it's still going to be there at the end of the day. It's essentially like we're pretending that something doesn't exist. And that's denial, not empowerment, right? There is, unfortunately, no shortcut to making change in your life. There's no magic pill, right? But the world tries to sell us one. And oh my God, are we willing to shell out tons and tons of money to buy it? Self-help marketing sells fast and convenient solutions to complicated life issues. But unfortunately, that's not how things work. It creates this unrealistic expectation, which creates the perception of change, I think, rather than real change. But we all know deep down that any real lasting change takes time and effort and intention. Self-help is kind of a contradiction, right? The first and most fundamental step to growth is to admit that you're okay as you are and that you don't necessarily need anyone's help. But the self-help industry tells you the exact opposite, that you must do what somebody else has done before because it worked for them, right? And that's how they sell. That's how they make money. But this belief that you're okay just as you are can't be given to you by somebody else. It has to be reached on your own. So before I dive into how we can move through our obsession with self-help as a culture, here's some random facts about this industry that I think are really, really interesting. First of all, the self-help products and services industry was worth $11 billion in 2018 and is estimated to grow to $13.2 billion in 2022. I couldn't find any more recent like accurate numbers around this, but I think this does a pretty good job of painting the picture. The growth and how fast the growth is, right? The personal development market includes these main segments, mental health, self-awareness, skill set enhancement, motivation, and physical health. The main forms of personal development content are e-platforms, both mobile and web applications, traditional books, audio and e-books, personal training, workshops, and other online events. Just to give you guys kind of a context of what this market looks like. Another random fact, speaker and author Deepak Chopra is one of the wealthiest people in the self-improvement industry and has a net worth of over $150 million. Um, The average self-help product consumer is a woman in her 40s. In fact, 70% of all industry consumers are women and most of them live on the east 
or West Coast of the United States. Most motivational speakers are men. Most of the speeches are tailored towards the younger generation, millennials in particular. The average motivational speaker salary is 106000 while a senior-level professional motivational speaker earns at least $217,000 per year. 94% of millennials are willing to spend up to $300 per month on things that can help them improve themselves. This generation spends twice as much on self-improvement as baby boomers. Losing weight is a major goal for around 97 million Americans. For context, the population of the U.S. is 335 million. So it's a pretty good chunk. And finally, it's difficult to know the exact amount of self-help books since they're constantly coming out, but the number of unique ISBNs, which I looked up, is International Standard Book Number, so it's essentially a product identifier, has grown from 30,897 in 2014 to 85,253 in 2019. That's pretty incredible. So we know now, right, we're understanding how the industry works, um, how they're trying to essentially profit off of us, right, and our vulnerabilities and our insecurities. So what are some tips to overcoming our self-help addiction? I have a few thoughts here. And the first and most important in my mind is know your worth. This is a big one for women in particular because so many of us grew up with an inherent belief that we're not good enough, myself included. And we're feeding right into the problem here. The industry relies on us not being content with ourselves in order to keep thriving. And we're most profitable when we feel inadequate and desperate. It's like right now in January, coming off of a month in December of overindulging, right? Shopping, eating, drinking. Of course, we're not going to feel great about ourselves because we're so out of balance, which is why we see all the ads now for gym memberships and juice cleanses and supplements and all that stuff, trying to feed off our insecurities. Here's the thing. Once you see this, you can't unsee it. We've been allowing culture to prey on our vulnerabilities, which just feels gross, right? And the other thing is, we all know the things we need to do to make us feel better. It's unique and really personal, right? Everybody is different. We just don't trust ourselves. We trust someone else who, frankly, we don't even know and definitely doesn't know us. And like when you think through this, it's kind of messed up, isn't it? When we understand this contradiction, then we can start to grow, I think. Growth means that maybe, just maybe, we recognize that we're okay as we are and we don't necessarily need to rely on somebody else or we don't necessarily need somebody else's help in order to live our life, right? Another point I want to make here is we shouldn't trust what we can't see. Self-help gurus, whether we want to believe it or not, are human too. But they don't want to let you know that because they've built their brand and their business and their life, right, most likely, on kind of being superhuman. 
So of course, they're not going to let you see the real side of them. God knows, like maybe behind the scenes, they have huge anxiety attacks or they're, you know, using other, maybe not so healthy ways to cope with stress or whatever's going on in their life. Trust me, no one has it all together. We need to come to terms with the fact that you can never truly know what's real. It's healthy to question things, especially those who say or maybe seem to project out into the world, right? That like they have it all figured out. A couple examples, Tony Robbins, arguably the most famous self-help aficionado in the world, has a decent amount of allegations made against him in the last few years, including claims of sexual harassment, bullying, injury. I have no interest in going into the details here, but I just want to make the point. Tim Ferriss, known for his extremely popular four-hour work week, works at least 60 hours a week and often more, as reported by Business Insider, the magazine. And he's not marketing that, right? Another example, Deepak Chopra promotes charity and the law of giving, yet he charges $350 for like meditation glasses or whatever, despite having this massive net worth that I just talked about, over $150 million. Again, my point here is we don't need to trust everyone more than we trust ourselves, or we don't need to trust anybody more than we trust ourselves, frankly. The last thought I have around this in working through our kind of obsession with the self-help industry is we guide our own narrative. One of the reasons that self-improvement books are so popular is that many people feel lost. There are so many options and decisions to make in our day-to-day lives. And when we have so many choices, our ability to actually narrow down the options and make a decision becomes extremely hard, right? I get totally overwhelmed by this. (laughs) Even the little things like, what do I have for breakfast this morning, you know? So of course, we wonder if our choices are the right ones or we wonder if, you know, we might be missing out on something better which leads us to feeling lost and struggling to know what to do. And self-improvement books provide readers with the understanding that we're not alone in this feeling and also gives us some kind of guidance through the eyes or words of either an expert or someone that's gone through the same or similar journey. So this provides a way out of that confusion and ideally gives us a path to follow towards having some direction in our lives. So it makes sense why these books are so popular. The more we show up for ourselves, though, and the more that we get out of our comfort zone, the more life will show up for us. And I really believe that. Anything that's worth it is built at a foundational level, and we get to decide what that path is for us. When we learn to slow down and tune into ourselves instead of somebody else's, right, like somebody else's life, Our path, I think, will show up. It just takes time. This is a lifelong journey. We don't just figure ourselves out in a month or a year, like all these like workshops or courses will sell us, right? And now all of a sudden, like it's over. Like I don't have that problem anymore. Like check the box, right? That's not how it works. It takes patience and it takes huge, huge amounts of self-compassion because we're going to trip and fall over and over and over again. 
And at the end of the day, you get to decide what contributes to your well-being. If that means some peanut butter M&Ms every day after lunch this week, then that's okay. If that means swapping out your self-help books for something more entertaining, like binging a whole season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, or just finding another book maybe that doesn't trigger you and make you feel bad about yourself, then that's more than okay. Instead of always trying to be better, let's maybe spend our time and energy on slowing down and tuning in and trying to trust ourselves. Because I certainly wasn't taught this growing up and I can learn it now and we all can. Okay. So thank you so much, you guys for listening. And that's what I had today. If you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend. And if you want to connect with me or send me a message, you can find me on Instagram at money isn't scary. And you can also join my Facebook group, the mindful money mamas. Thank you so much. And let's really be, you know, more conscious and thoughtful around what's going on in the world around us and, and how we're responding to that and what's going on inside of us as well. Thank you guys. I'll talk to you next time.